Everybody crashed in my house. And next morning, we got woken up to a loud noise. I was dating this girl who was an artist. She made this sculpture in my house. And LV walked into the sculpture and broke into pieces. And she felt really bad. She was all upset, but she couldn't see. She had degenerative glaucoma, couldn't see. And then she medicated with cannabis. I could, like in front of me, I could, she still had glasses on, but I, she was like, oh, I'm able to see. And she was so apologetic. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's not a big deal, but it sort of was my second aha moment. I'm like, wait, so I consume cannabis for my ADD. She consumes cannabis for a glaucoma. I don't understand how it's working as a, as a medicine for her. It's working as a medicine for me. So let me take a deeper dive and really start understanding. Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms. From inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe, this is Neurons to Nirvana. My guest, Lynn May, shares an intriguing journey of finding his independence in Philadelphia, moving to L.A., and applying his scientific passions to developing a product to map and navigate your personal endocannabinoid system. Lynn tells his personal story as a child and how his first-hand knowledge of the healing power of cannabis to treat his ADD has driven his advocacy for the rights of others who needed cannabis as their medicine and ultimately to deep dive into the science behind the cannabinoid system to develop a personalized product called Indocana DNA to test what cannabis strains most likely help an individual. Lynn describes his aha moments of discovering how ADD, glaucoma, epilepsy, and a variety of medical conditions are improved through optimized cannabis consumption. Lynn has a remarkable story, and after you hear about his company, Indocana Health, if you are interested in getting a personalized cannabis DNA assessment, be sure to follow the link in the show notes to order your Indo DNA kit and use code NIRVANA20. That's, again, NIRVANA2020 for a special Neurons to Nirvana 20% discount. Let's get to know Lynn. Lynn, hey, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks, brother. Appreciate it. So I'm really excited to speak to you because of, well, I think we're really in line in my podcast and what your passions are, obviously, with the cannabis, your cannabis-related uh, company, as well as your passion for music. Why don't we start off with you talking and sharing a little bit about your where you're from and, and who you are, your past? Yeah, well, so... I was born in Lithuania, which is uh, right now it's a Baltic country in the Eastern Europe, but it used to be under Soviet Union control. And uh, in 1979, we left to immigrate to the U.S. And, uh, you know, I, I talk to people about this whole thing and they think you sit in a plane and you fly and you end up in uh, you know, JFK or Ellis Island, Statue of Liberty, what we see on TV. It wasn't like that. It took us six months to get here. So I actually really? celebrated my birthday in Italy. Uh, and uh, we we went from one train to another train through Poland, then stayed in Austria for a few weeks. 
then we got permission to go to Italy, lived there for six months. And my parents both got jobs there. It was a, my, my dad's a double master's mechanical engineer. My mom's uh, uh, was uh, doing accounting and she was a tour guide. She, she picked up Italian really quick. And my dad w- was washing cars. So we needed to create a, you know, a, a life there until we got permission to come to the U.S. And uh, like I said, it took us six months to get to uh, you know, the U.S. And we, then we got on a plane from Italy, flew uh, to New York. And I was like, wow, skyscrapers, like big <laughs> buildings is so cool. And then we got in this van that I remember and drove to Philly. And I went to Philly. I was like, what happened to all the big building skyscrapers from <laughs> Northeast Philly? And uh, we moved into, my mom had like a third or fourth cousin, a very distant relative that we were allowed to, you know, that's why we were allowed to immigrate from the Soviet Union. And we lived in their basement apartment. So there was like two bedrooms and there was like six or seven of us living there. And that was my, uh, that was my start. No English, nothing. And you didn't know any English. You didn't speak no, English. No, I turned seven. I never went to first grade because I was sort of on the cusp. It was the end. Uh, I was turning seven and it was the end of the school year. So I started with second grade and uh, there was only one other person who spoke. We, we spoke Russian because Lithuanian was, you weren't allowed to speak any other language in during the Soviet Union, except for you, you, they wouldn't recognize your own native languages. So you my, my dad was from Belarus. My mom was from Lithuania. So they spoke Russian. So we spoke Russian. There was only one other person in the whole school that spoke Russian. It was my translator uh, at the time. And uh, that's it. So I would get in a lot of fights uh, during elementary, second, third grade, because I always thought people like kids were making fun of me, which they, they were. But who does? Like, <laughs> yeah, my dad's like, I don't understand. My dad's like, you know, hit first to ask questions later. So that's that's that was my uh <laughs> so my upbringing, my dad was big on that. Always throw the first punch. That's what my dad said. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Always better to be on the offense than defense. Uh, okay. So then what about further along as you're growing up, how did you get into cannabis? Like when was your, what was your first experience with marijuana? Cannabis? Yeah. <clears throat> so in school, I was, I was always the kid that uh, I wasn't, I wasn't a bad student when I wanted to apply myself, but it was always this whole thing with discipline issues. Either I was disruptive or I didn't pay attention. And the reason why is because like I would sit there and I would be completely bored all the time. But if I'm in, so I had all these other thoughts of uh, pop in my head. And uh, at some point, you know, my parents got tired. They went to, uh, they said, let's go, let's go see some doctors. And they did. My mom had a friend who was a psychiatrist and they, he would come over and talk to me. Anyway, I got diagnosed with ADD. So it's a I have it as well, yeah. Yeah, but not the, yeah, not the H because at the time they didn't have H. It was and I wasn't hyperactive. And they started putting me on prescription medicine. Later on like in my Ritalin? life. Uh, it Did was they put a, you on Ritalin? Yeah, it was a Ritalin. It was uh it was some I, I don't even remember to tell you the truth, but it was like two or three different things until they found what worked. And when they say what worked is it means that I could focus and be a zombie. So there was no emotion, no feeling. It was, you felt numb, but you could kind of go through your emotions. And later on in life, I became an ADD coach. I actually use it as my superpower. So I worked with a lot of uh, successful people who had ADD to help them navigate on how to use it that way. Because for me, after I understood what ADD really is, so you have a depletion of dopamine, your brain is always looking for that extra squirt of dopamine. So you can hyper-focus and that's, 
And if you can multitask effectively because you're getting a little bit of dopamine here and here and here, and you have systems for that, it's a superpower. And if you don't, then it can yeah. be detrimental. But anyway, so they put me on this uh, medication and you know, I was going to class. I think it was, I want to say it's seventh grade or the end of seventh grade, maybe it was eighth grade, but I think it was seventh. And these kids I was hanging out with, they asked me if I wanted to smoke a cigarette. I was like, yeah, man. I was because I was already dabbling. My parents both smoked, and I would steal cigarettes. And I was like, that's a cool thing to do. Uh, and Try to fit in, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you fit in. It's like you know, cigarettes were cool back in the day. We didn't know all the health uh, risks with them. So, uh, but there was a group of four guys, me, and they had, they had one cigarette, which I didn't think was weird back then. But now looking back, I'm like. One cigarette, something is up. So they passed the cigarette around. We all took drags, and I took a drag, inhaled it, coughed a little bit, but it was it tasted different. And they're of course. And I'm like, <laughs> and they're kind of they're looking at me. And so I took another one. I'm like, oh, it's tastes different again. So <laughs> um, they're laughing at me, but uh, I started feeling something. And then they told me it would they filled it with uh, with weed with cannabis. So I went back to class, and the windows that were in my head sort of started narrowing. I could focus and I still felt emotion and all that. St- so I'm like, this is interesting. So I, you know, I try to get cannabis as often as I possibly could. It wasn't easy to get, you know, back, back in the day in Philly, especially, but, uh, it, it was there. And then I, I slowly got rid of all my prescription medication and started consuming cannabis as often as I possibly could. And my parents would catch me here and there and, you know, I get grounded and, and at, at some point, you know, they, they even try to, I, I left home because where I got in a fight and I was staying with this one girl and then I came back. And uh, as I got older, we had a conversation with my dad and he said, and I told him, I'm going to consume, this is my medicine. They don't understand. They thought that it was the same thing as, uh, as opium, same exact thing. No difference. That's wild, uh, man. <laughs> yeah, opium, never knew any better, you know? So uh, he said, don't bring it in the house. I don't want to have it in the house. If you're going to live under my roof, don't bring it in the house. So uh, we were out uh, partying. I was like 17, maybe just about 18. Uh, came home from a club late. I had fake ID. And we went fishing with my friends. And uh, late at night, I got back at early morning, woke up in the afternoon. I walked downstairs and I see on, my, on the kitchen table, my parents sitting there and they had a pouch. And I... I used to have a pouch that oh, I kept sure. <laughs> underneath my my car, uh, underneath my uh, my seat in my car. I had my weed, I had my pipe there, and all this stuff, and they have it. And I was like, "What's this?" Goes, "I told you not to bring it in the house." I said, "I didn't. It was in the car." <laughs> well, the car was parked in my property, so while I was sleeping, they went in my car. And I took my pouch. So we had this big thing going back and forth and arguing. What are they gonna? What are we gonna do with you? I mean, I, I don't know. There's nothing to do with me. There's nothing wrong with me. So we're like, you know what? What what happens if we call the cops on you? So I, I call the cops. I don't give a shit. And they did. <laughs> they called the fucking cops. They called the cops. Yeah. So two oh, female okay. police officers came, and uh, they were like, "Oh, we're gonna lock you up." I said, "All right." Uh, go for it. Anything under 28 grams of misdemeanor, I'll get out of my own reconnaissance, but you can fill out paperwork. And then the cop was like, he's a smart ass kid. And I was like, I- I'm not a smart ass. I just know my shit. And they threw out my stuff. And she goes, if it was my son, I would kick him to the curb. So my dad told me after they left, 
Like you said, go upstairs. You have five minutes to get your stuff. And wow. I packed the suitcase. My dad literally kicked me out the door. The irony of this whole thing is both my parents consume products that I either manufactured or my company has, uh, you know, formulation uh, IP on that they take for their different conditions now. So the irony came, course, came full circle. <laughs> yeah, came full circle, and it actually, it uh, had a moment where I shared a joint with my dad in Jamaica, which was a mind blowing experience. Oh, nice. Yeah, but uh, so I was. Uh, Alone, I slept in some motel rooms for a while. Uh, I had a girlfriend let me crash at her house until the parents said, you got to go couch surf for a while. And uh, I was a big, big music guy. So I would go to Tower Records at the time, which was the predominant record store. I would buy CDs, buy records. And the guy I was talking to there, he's like, I was looking for a job. I just got to started going to college. I guess I was turning 18 and I needed a job. I'm homeless. I don't know. I don't have $500 in my pocket in the car. And I got a job as a cashier at Tower Records. And uh, once I had a job as a cashier in Tower Records, my grandmother, who was alive at that time, let me crash on her couch for a while. I started, you know, going to school, got a job. It wasn't enough money. She gave me uh, money for a security deposit. And uh, I got an apartment. I got an apartment in a basement of this apartment building. Man, this was the biggest shithole. First of all, Every single time it rained, half my living room was filled with water. So I had to call the office. They did the shop vac, all the water out of the carpet, but it still had mold underneath. Sure. <laughs> also, every single kind of roach that you can imagine was there. So I had roaches everywhere all the time. And I got to a point where I put up like a little board in, my, in, uh, in the bathroom. I would catch them and I would pin them to show when the people come from the office. These are all the different kind of roaches <laughs> that I had. But uh, I wasn't go. making enough money. So my buddy owned, uh, my buddy's dad owned a strip club and uh, he needed a DJ. So I, was, I would work till midnight in Tower Records. I would go to the catwalk and be there till 3 a.m. Uh, as a DJ, you know, uh, next up, give it up for candy. We'll pour some sugar on me. That kind of thing. <laughs> right. And then. Uh, Hell yeah, and, that's hilarious. Yeah, and then I would go uh, to school eight 8.30 or what, 9 o'clock class, whatever it was, and I would go to school, and uh, that was sort of my journey. And the, and working in Tower Records, there was a couple of things. First of all, I would smoke weed all the time, so people would come in, and they would start asking me, smells like weed, and I would, I would sell weed to the employees that, that work there, and the manager, <laughs> right. and then Customer and then the, the customers are buying, you know, music. They would come in and smell like weed. I'm like, yeah, you know, like, do you know where I can get some? It's like, as a matter of fact, maybe I do. So uh, I started this uh, service. I had a pager this way back in the day. And my buddy would come back and he would deliver. And people would ask me for weed, so we started this like little weed uh, business as well, uh, just just for uh, getting by. And then uh, working Tower Records got the tickets to concerts and stuff. So I made seven bucks an hour and I was buying music. I got promoted to a buyer and I get, but I got all these perks, free music, concert tickets. So I got to go to this festival called the Horde Festival, which had like Blues oh, Traveler, yeah. uh, Ziggy Marley. Black Crows. Black uh, Crows were the headliners. Widespread Panic. Exactly. Widespread exactly. Panic, Dave Matthews Band. There was a bunch of like really yeah. strong, uh, Fish even did a leg of it. Yeah. Depending on what year, what year did you go to Horde, by the way? Which year? I would say this is very, very, <laughs> very early 90s. 
Uh, I can't remember exactly yep. the year, but I would say maybe 92, 93, something like that. Maybe 90. Yeah, that sounds right. So um, they, they even had the spin doctors on their tour. They did. <laughs> did you I, know I, that? I, yeah, I, yeah, I saw the spin doctors too. I had a really weird experience with spin doctors uh, where Stone Temple Pilots opened up for spin doctors, which I thought was really no odd way. because, yeah, because it should have been the other way around. But they of were course. they were big established bands, the spin doctors, because they had like, Little oh, yeah. Miss Can't Be Wrong. And Stone Temple <laughs> yeah. Pilots are like, they rock. I, I, so I didn't get it, but yeah. Uh, but it was a, it was an interesting experience. So anyway, I went to the Horde Fest and walking around, listening to music, and I see there was a, a booth and these they have a cannabis action network. On I'm like, oh, cannabis action network, cool. Walked over and there's a bunch of uh, you know they were from San Francisco, I believe. They traveled all the way there and they had these things, these little pamphlets about cannabis, very little information, and they were registering people to vote. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. like, cool. What are you doing? We're legal, trying to fight for legalization. How? We're trying to get legal, uh, people to vote. I'm like, okay, cool. What else are you doing? Well, that's it. So I became the president of the Cannabis Action Network. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be an activist. I'm going to fight for this. And uh, I found this woman through the Cannabis Action Network named Elvi Masika, who was one of the first people to get federally prescribed cannabis. And uh, for those of you that don't know, the federal government used to have a program under NIDA where about 14 people get federally prescribed cannabis for their pre-existing conditions, cancer, glaucoma, et cetera. Federal government also had a patent on cannabis for as a neuroprotectant. They cultivate cannabis or did under prohibition in Mississippi. Uh, and uh, they had these pre-rolled cigarette joints that they, they rolled in somewhere in North Carolina, I'm assuming. It's big tobacco because it looked like cigarettes. And uh, she had this tin jar. Uh, so the, the rally was Independence Hall in Philly with a constitution, Declaration of Independence are all written on hemp paper. And Elvie uh, pulled out of her joint uh, with a USDA label, smoked. And, uh, you know, federal rangers with the hats were like looking at her. They couldn't do anything because she had a federal prescribed cannabis, which is odd. I'm like, this is great. This is, you know, early 90s. I'm like, wow, we're going to move forward and Pennsylvania legalized only like two years ago or so. So yeah. it's a yeah. long journey. But uh, the the interesting part, everybody crashed in my house. And next morning, we got woken up to a loud noise. I was dating this girl who was an artist. She made the sculpture in my house. And LV walked into the sculpture and broke into pieces. And she felt really bad. She was all upset, but she couldn't see. She had degenerative glaucoma, couldn't see. And then she medicated with cannabis. I could, like in front of me, I could, she still had glasses on, but I, she was like, oh, I'm able to see. And she was so apologetic. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's not a big deal. But it sort of was my second aha moment. I'm like, wait. So I consume cannabis for my ADD. She consumes cannabis for a glaucoma. I don't understand how it's working as a, as a medicine for her. It's working as a medicine for me. So let me take a deeper dive and really start understanding. And I started being... Like it's that whole thing with ADD when you can multitask or when something really focus. Yeah. Hyper. Hyper. I did. Yeah. I found you know the emperors were no clothes, no clothes. <laughs> every single book, high time, every single thing that I could find, I was just like inhaling information. There wasn't a lot of it, so that started sort of my journey in in the cannabis space. Okay, so you were president for Can for how long? Until Can went away uh, and became Which, sort of yeah. a chapter of normal. In a way, right. so they sort yep. of merged together. Uh, this was probably 
the late 90s uh, that they started, uh, you know, coming together. Then I was a member of Normal, but I was no longer the mm-hmm. president. But what happened was, you know, Tower Records closed down. I, I decided I'm going to do my own record company. So I started Mayday Music. And I, my, my whole focus was I like interesting, hard to find, unique music. So like a Jane's Addiction release that was Germany only or something of That's that nature. Awesome. So I started this website and I had all these contacts from Tower that I could get these things. But what, ha- what was happening was these, these distributors started closing down. So people would order this Jane's Addiction CD. I couldn't get it anymore. So I was struggling a little bit and I was still, you know, selling weed here and there. <laughs> and my my ex-wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was like, you have to get a real job. I got a job offer from a company called Pricewaterhouse. For those of you that know Pricewaterhouse, it's, it's PwC now, Pricewaterhouse Coopers. But at the time, it's Pricewaterhouse. So these are the people that messed up the Oscars, if anybody remembers. Oh, they gave the right. wrong, yeah, the yeah. wrong yeah. envelope yeah. for the winner. picture, for best picture. They bought that, yeah. <laughs> it was, so they're, they're the accounting firm, but they also have management consulting. So if you can imagine, I have long hair, I have earrings. Oh, yeah. Now I have to pull my hair back in a ponytail, go in, wear a suit and tie, and every single day, a piece of my soul was taken away from me. So I was always trying to figure out what can I do with cannabis. I was not in the business, but you know, still trying to educate myself. Which, you know, all these experiences in my life really helped me to get where I am today. If you if you think about, like, just pr- keep pushing forward to try to find what it is, and all these things are. Things that you find on your journey to get you to the end result, wherever that may be. And you're still learning all the time from those things. I was in a crossroads and this was, uh, you know, the real estate market just crashed. It's 2008 and I was trying to figure out 2009 what what I was going to do. I wasn't doing anything with it that I would make a difference in people's lives, I thought. Right. Except making wealthier people more wealthy. So. Moved to LA, that moment of being a real estate office. And, and I remember these guys coming in and talking about opening up an alternative pharmacy. It was like, and the, the guy's talking to them, the realtor. It's like, and it came over to me and said, like, I don't know what these guys want. And I started talking about alternative pharmacy and I ended up, they wanted to open up a dispensary. So I said, okay, where's your paperwork? Uh, what are you going to do? How are you organized? They had nothing. They just had an idea. So I helped them and uh, they offered me a partnership. And we opened up our first dispensary in Santa Ana in Orange County, California, called Kush Kingdom. One of my uh, partners, he's the kind of guy that would go in the room and like, he'll be friendly with everybody. Everybody would know Mikey. And I got a call from Mikey. He's like, hey, you know, I'm sitting here with Corrupt from uh, Dog Pound. And he wants to have a strain named after him. So we uh, sent him over an agreement. And uh, we were the exclusive home of Corrupt's Kush. And then uh, six months later, we had the same situation with Method Man from Wu Tang Clan, and we Method had, Man, nice. <laughs> we had Method Man's Blackout, Blackout OG, and we had uh, you know numerous locations under the same umbrella. And then uh, I got a call from one of my managers from the Anaheim shop, and she said, "Like the feds are here. What do I do?" And I said, "Whatever the fuck they tell you." So uh, last yeah. shop was Santa Ana. We had a we had a grow in there too. And the, the guy from DOJ said, uh, "Let's go for a walk." And uh, it's like I have no problem with dope. My uh, mom takes it for a cancer, but if you close shop, fourteen days cease and desist, nothing will happen. We won't prosecute or anything. And 
that's what we ended up doing, closing shop. However, my, my whole passion is the therapeutic properties of the plant. And what I've been trying to figure out is why two people consume the same cultivar or chemical variety and have a completely different experience. And it started in the shop because uh, my, Mikey, the guy I was talking about, he wanted to, you know, smoke some weed and consume some cannabis. And he's like, let's, uh, and I said, all we have is this sativa dominant hybrid, some sativa. He was like, uh, nah, man, that shit puts me to sleep. I said, no, 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 no. Really? You're, Sativa. I said, Sativa. Sativa. Yeah, yeah. Sativa's up, indica's down. What do you mean? He goes, no, 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 not for me. Or it's just the opposite. So I was like, so I always start to focus on why these two people come in. They consume the same thing. And one of them has anxiety. And the other one is like, doesn't, I don't feel anything. It makes me calm. So this became my mission. And that, this, this closing of the shops and trying to figure this out. And again, the hyper-focused spider sense kicked in. And I started looking at the internet and trying to research. And I came across a video, this guy named Kevin McKernan. He was one of the first people to genetically sequence cannabis. And he had a video for that. So I started contacting them and I got a call from his assistant. Kevin's going to be in San Francisco for 30 minutes. He'll meet with you. So I'm like, I'm in LA. Got on a plane, flew to San Fran, met for hours. And they said, we have to do something together. So I came on board to the company called... um, uh, so, um, medicinal genomics, sorry. Uh, medicinal genomics was uh, uh, doing, you know, genetic testing of the plants. So I would travel the country and I would get plant material from the top growers, bring it back to my lab. They taught me all this stuff, how to extract DNA, how to purify the DNA and send it to a sequencer. So we started the first genetic library of different cultivars called Canopedia with a K. And they were ahead of their time because Kevin wanted to put it, all the information on the Bitcoin blockchain. Oh, wow. So we would have all this information secure. But the idea was if I get five Blue Dream samples, I can bring them in and I can say, okay, you know, these are kind of close to being genetically the same. These two have Blue Dream in them, so they're across. And this fifth one is not even close to Blue Dream, it's something else. And that sort of got my journey into plant genomics. And their parent company was called Cortigen Life Sciences, and they did pharmacogenomics. So genetic testing for drug interactions, specific disease predispositions to cancer, uh, epilepsy, autism, et cetera. So I started getting really heavily involved in human genetics because I started being fascinated with that. So that started kind of my journey to launching our company, Endocana Health, um, in 2017. Okay. So yeah, Endocana Health, tell me you've got one product that I know of, it's EndoDNA, correct? So let me let me just kind of continue the story. So Absolutely. We had a meeting at Harvard Medical School with doctors that were treating kids with epilepsy using cannabis. And a lot of them were coming back, great success from 100 seizures to zero. And some of them, the seizures were coming back or it wasn't really working for them. So we started looking at the genetics of those kids and we started seeing that a genetic pattern uh, for a certain type of seizure disorder, this uh, childhood epilepsy, Gervais syndrome. And uh, there was an article published on that and it seemed like GW Pharma sort of started picking up on that as well. Uh, For those of you that know, there is one single FDA approved product called Epidilex that's specific for that 
epileptic condition, Dray syndrome, or, or you know, childhood epilepsy uh, that's FDA approved, that is plant derived. By uh, now, it's Jazz Pharmaceuticals who purchased that company. So for me, it was sort of a light bulb moment. Another one: we have plant genetics here, we have human genetics here. Let's bring those two together to create a personalized experience for individuals. And they had no interest in it. They they closed down the human side and wanted to focus on the plant. They said we're too early and we're looking for reimbursement. Anyway, they they really wanted to focus on the plant. So I got lucky. I, I was able to grab some scientists from there and, and bring some other scientists. In 2017, the we launched Endocana Health, and the first six, seven months was research. So we started looking at every single gene that had direct or indirect association with the endocannabinoid system. And I think this is really important because people talk about our test. Oh, it's like 23andMe of weed, and it's all about weed, but it's not. It's about your endocannabinoid system. And it, if you, even if you don't consume cannabis, you need to know about your endocannabinoid system because it's a primary modulating system. Its role is to maintain balance and homeostasis within your body. So once we, and I can elaborate on that if you would like a little more, but the idea was once we had those SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms identified, uh, we it had to have a peer review reference with it. Then we approached a company called Illumina that makes uh, sequencing equipment, genetic equipment, and uh, we asked them to build a chip for us. They had this global screening chip that they did for different disease markers, and we said, no, we have all these other ones that are related to the endocannabinoid system. So basically, we created a custom chip. Uh, we genotyped 675,000, give or take, different SNPs that are directly or indirectly associated with the endocannabinoid system. And then we, as you said, Tom, we build our endoDNA test. So the way that it works is you swab the inside of your mouth with a, a, a buckle swab, you register because we're HIPAA and GDPR compliant, and you send it to our lab. We'll genotype that and we'll provide your report. The other way that you can get your information is if you've taken a 23andMe, if you've taken an Ancestry, any other DNA test, you can take your raw data uploaded to our portal, My DNA Live will translate that and give you a report in 30 seconds or less. So that's really the way that, you know, we launched Endocana Health. Fascinating. So how in depth does this report, if you do the test and it's returned back to you, do you mind elaborating on what it looks like or how it breaks down to review? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we're looking at symptomatic conditions. So every single symptomatic condition that has uh, an association with your endocannabinoid system and also where cannabis can play a role. So things like uh, anxiety, stress, uh, mood, uh, pain, nausea, sleep, cognitive function. So you have a symptomatic condition that it tells you uh, several different reports. So if I'm using anxiety, uh, there may be three reports on a predisposition, you may have a higher level of predisposition to stress reactivity or PTSD or slower rate of fear extinction, things of that nature, or you're predisposed to some sleep um, disturbances like bruxism, just grind your teeth, mm -hmm. or insomnia, things of that nature. And it can show you predispositions to adverse effects associated with uh, cannabis use. So some people have predispositions to impulsive behavior, 
which is okay. Some people have predispositions to, you know, working memory impairment, which happens to almost everybody that consumes cannabis. But some people have predispositions to psychotomatic effects, which is psychosis-like effects. So this is something that they need to navigate through. So the idea of the endodna test is, you know, not just is the 23andMe of weed. It's more or less a GPS. That's the way I kind of look at it. It actually allows you to navigate and avoid those potholes in the road or the sharp corners if you're baby-proofing your house. So you can help, so you can take the guesswork out and have these experiences that are much more personalized to you. So not only here's a cannabinoid and terpene profile that aligns better with your genetic predisposition, here's a uh, dosing protocol that's based on metabolic function, how you metabolize things, method of consumption. We talked about, you know, edibles and all these other things prior. So this would be an appropriate, you know, way to be able to guide you to method of consumption. Uh, I can explain that a little bit more as well. And then all that, we're looking at drug-to-drug interaction. Some prescription medications that people take are inducers or inhibitors when you combine them with cannabinoids. And then all that still comes back to the ratio of cannabinoids and terpenes. And then what we do is we use certificates of analysis, which are test results, and we help match you to a uh, product that is more aligned with you and geofence that. In addition to that, we get feedback. So what is the efficacy of this protocol? How do we know this? So one is we get patient-reported outcome, uh, you know, how it's working for you, but also we use biometric feedback. So a device like our EndoLink device that you can wear as a biometric device or integration with Fitbit or et cetera. And we can see what are your biomarkers. So we can actually see that protocol that's being suggested for you. How is it actually working uh, within your body? And is it efficacious? And once we know that the remote monitoring, we use machine learning to make better predictive inferences. And, uh, you know, this arch- archetypical approach to making suggestions for people on what's right for them. So, for instance, we're talking about indica, sativa, how many strands, and then also different types of CBD are you placing on your report? Yeah. So, first of all, this whole thing with indica and sativa, yeah. it's, it doesn't, there is no such right. thing. Like, let's, let's get past this Thank myth you, yes. of indica and sativa. There used to be an indica and sativa plant. What made it indica is if you follow the lineage of what's called a land race, which is the original cultivars that grew in a certain region. So they have these original land-based strains or or cultivars. By the way, Dr. Ethan Russo always told me, it's like, why do we call this amazing plant a strain? A strain (laughs) refers to a virus. This is the farthest thing for a virus. (laughs) You know, it's in a lexicon, so we'll call it a strain. Fine. But it's a chemical variety or a cultivar, uh, a cultivation variety. That's the way... We should probably refer to it. But the original, uh, there was a couple of different regions that grew cannabis. And Southeast Asia, in the, in sort of where, uh, you know, the Himalayas are, the Kashmir region, we have a lot of original land race uh, indicas that, that were originated there. And what happened was these cultivars grew differently than the other cultivars, a little bit wider. They were exposed to harsh climates. So they created a, uh, a different type of grow for them. And if you, 
if you smell those original uh, strains or cultivars, they smelled really skunky or diesely. So they excreted, based on their environment, a certain terpene profile, which is the essential oil of the plants. And it would said in the literature to help deter the natural predators in that environment. So if you smell them, they smell really skunky or diesely. And if you isolate it, that has to do with a terpene called myrcene. Myrcene is very sedative. It's what is predominant in those, what we would call an indica-dominant uh, hybrid that has that helps you get sedated. And the other cultivars that were originated in other parts of the world, uh, the sativa ones, were native to like South Africa with the Durbans, like the Durban poison, etc., and also the Caribbean, which were like the Maui Wowies, etc. So if you look at those cultivars, they were thinner, longer, they grew to the sun, and they had a different smell to them. They smell a little bit fruitier. And if you uh, if you really isolate that, that had a lot to do with the terpene called limonene. And limonene is dominant in sativa uh, hybrids. And that has binding affinity to GABA receptors, a little bit of dopamine. So that gives you that boost up. So the sativa and indicas, it depends on what the terpene profile is and what the cannabinoid profile is. So the idea is you have all these different reports about how cannabis can affect you. And then what we do is we look at primary and primary cannabinoids and then also the terpene profiles and other minor cannabinoids. And it gives you what the percentage matches. And the way that it works is we'll take a uh, test result of a product. And we also have patent pending on our own formulations that we license out all over the world, but we have a certain test result from either a strain or, you know, a tincture, and we'll show you based on your genetic predisposition, this is a 70% match. Now, this is the dispensary that's closest to you that carries that specific formulation. You can buy it, and then you can report back how it's working for you as well as using biometric feedback. So we're always gathering data, and the overall goal of our company is to have the largest observational study in the world on efficacy. That's amazing. So you all have enough data points in your network with dispensaries that you can actually tell them which dispensary they should go to? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so so anybody that wants to work with us, brands, etc., they provide us test results. That's that it has to be a valid third party C of A and it runs an algorithm and shows you a match. So you can see like sometimes it's a 30 percent match. But if that's all you have, you know, it helps you take the guesswork out. And maybe it's a 30 percent match because you need higher CBD, lower THC. And, and this is, you know, these are the reasons why some people have these experiences, because higher THC for some people, even though they may have their own deficiency in an andamide, which is our endogenous endocannabinoid, if they take a little bit too much THC, it actually can trigger an anxiety event for them. And method of consumption, we, we, we talked about edibles. So one of the things that we, we're looking at, there's a series of genes called cytochrome P450. Each one of those genes produces an enzyme that metabolizes something in our bodies. There's one for lac lactose, there's one for gluten. And if you have sensitivities to that, that's the, uh, uh, the enzyme that metabolizes that. There's a specific one for THC, there's a specific one for CBD, and there's a specific one for CBD and THC together. So if you're a poor metabolizer of 
THC and you're and you're consuming an edible, number one, when it goes to your first pass, your liver will convert THC uh, when it's decarboxylated to something called 11-oxyhydroxide. It can be five to 50 times more powerful depending on the individual. However, if you're a poor metabolizer, number one, it can be a much slower onset. It can be a much more powerful onset. But if you also have other predispositions to stress reactivity, that anxiety can build up, psychosis, you know, all these things are possible. And if you know this about yourself, once again, there is a way to avoid those sharp corners. So perhaps instead of consuming an edible, maybe consume sublingually under your tongue. It'll bypass, you know, your liver and go directly in your bloodstream or uh, combustibly. So, you know, smoke or vape or something of that nature. So method of consumption is key. And that's a way, the more users we have, we have a little over 6,000 uh, users now, customers, but the more users we have, the better the predictive inferences gets, and we can start creating archetypes. And here, the thing with reviews and all these different things, it's not a cookie cutter, it's a really a personalized experience. One size fits all, it doesn't work. And one of the things that, that sort of my other light bulb moment, I was buying like ski pants on Amazon and my buddy was buying ski pants too. And our option was small, medium, large, extra large. So I got medium, he got medium. I'm, he's a really tall, lanky guy. We both weigh around the same, but I'm a little bit shorter and stockier guy and we both got medium. So for me, you know, my medium was too long. For him, it was too short, but it's medium. So it's a one size fits all based on that, but it's not that. It, there's nuances of that. Everything is personal. Everybody has a personal experience. So this is the reason why we're doing this. And right now we just validated whole genome sequencing. So not only are we gonna be looking at the 675,000, we're moving to 64 million records. And we can talk about nutrient deficiencies, vitamin deficiencies, Different skin, what kind, of, what kind of skin do you have predispositions for? What can you use? So it's really truly precision medicine and having our doctors in place, really we will treat this as precision medicine. Cannabis is only one part of that. It's looking at the entire body and creating protocols that are more individualized. So EndoDNA will tell you what would be the best fit you were saying as far as form of consumption, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, form of, so it'll tell you three things. What you should take based on your genetic predispositions. So what is your ideal ratio of cannabis and terpenes to help avoid, and I'll say, we met with the FDA, FDA said, what's the purpose of your test? We said to help people avoid an adverse event. Perfect example, Grandma Mary uh, will go and she hasn't consumed cannabis, so she'll go to a dispensary, they'll give her gummies. She'll uh, take gummies, have a, a really intense experience. Do you think Grandma Mary's gonna go back to no. cannabis? Probably not. <laughs> no. She's gonna be scared of it. But not only that, but she'll tell everybody else in That's her right. vicinity, stay away from devil's lettuce. So yeah. this is our yeah. goal is to help to help people avoid those adverse experiences. So that's number one. Number two is drug to drug interaction. We're also adding supplements. I think people don't realize that there's interactions between cannabinoids their prescription medications. A lot of people contact us that they're they're on uh, SSRIs for depression mm -hmm. or anxiety, and they want to start consuming cannabis. Well, there's you can't take them together. It's an inhibitor 
uh, or some of their reducers. So it'll change the amount. So stagger your consumption. Don't take them at the same time. So drug-to-drug interaction is the other thing that it'll tell you. And then it's metabolic function, so dosing. So dosing, not only how much you should dose and not exactly like it used to be, uh, you know, milligram per kilogram of weight makes no sense, never made any sense to me. My business partner is a physically larger man than me. If he and I both take the same amount of uh, an edible or he will, which, which happened to him, <laughs> I had a, a yeah. funny story. I was, I was at an event somewhere and, uh, he and one of our neuroscientists went to another event in, in Vegas. He never usually goes to events, but it was a psychedelic conference with Canada. It, it was just, he wanted to find out more information, so they went. I get a text from my neuroscientist. My my business partner's name is Eric. He goes, I think I just killed Eric. I was like, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah, we, 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 I gave him this beverage. I think it was a 100 milligram beverage. He said he literally took a sip of it. He was high for two days he had to get another day in the hotel room to stay there are you serious he's a yeah he's a he's a ultra poor metabolizer through his first pass and so if it's milligram per kilogram if i would take the same amount and he would take it the same amount we both have completely different experiences it has nothing to do with weight it has to do with how you metabolize and method of consumption so that's the next thing it's those three things and then you know, it's this whole notion of it's not just cannabis. It has to do with your endocannabinoid system. If you understand your deficiencies and you understand, you know, nutrient deficiencies, vitamin deficiencies, maybe you're excreting too much cortisol because you're prone to more stress. That can create more inflammation for, through an overactive res- uh, immune response. Now you're walking around with pain and people are like, I have pain. Maybe I need to take something for my pain. You start with an Advil, you start with a Tylenol, and then you move into opioids to block the pain. Well, guess what? You have a predisposition to opiate dependence. One in four people do. And maybe I'm one of those people. So immediately I start being dependent on opiate and you're going down the wrong path. So I believe that every single person in the world should take a DNA test. And DNA is not a sentence that you're locked into. And this is where I think people really lose this whole thing. Oh, you know, I'm born this way. What can I do? But it's not about that. It's about having these on-off switches. You have these on-off switches. When when you're born with your DNA, you get half from your mother, half from your father. Some of those switches are turned on. Skin color, eye color, you know, hair color, all these things. However, some of them are encoded in us. And the action that we take, our lifestyle, nutrition, mental state, all these things, they can help turn those things on or off. Some things we want to keep off. And if we know this about stuff, let's say somebody has a predisposition to a certain cancer. Well, if we know that about ourselves, we can take certain action, you know, nutritional action, etc., uh, supplementation, better testing. Some some predispositions are in the, you know, we want to make sure that we keep off. Some of them we want to turn on. So that is knowledge and empowered knowledge. Now you can take certain action lifestyle and make sure that those are expressed epigenetically through you know messenger RNA, whatever proteins it's told to create, that's bookending the experience. So without knowing what your genetic predispositions are, you're basically walking through life blind and you're stepping into potholes over and over and over where you can avoid those potholes if you knew that they were there.
Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, because obviously, and I'm sure from your story and growing up, you may have had the same experiences, but depending on what type of weed I was smoking in high school or college, like you said, I'd be in a great mood, goofy, laugh, you know, funny, making my friends laugh. Another time I'd just be floored and could, couldn't move, paralyzed, and sort of have an anxiety attack. So I think this is amazing technology so that people who don't have any familiarity but are very interested in trying cannabis can use this as a roadmap, a GPS, as you stated. That's what's so great. So how much do your tests cost? So the full endodna kit retails it for $199. Okay. And the upload of the raw data from 23andMe and Ancestry is $49.95. So I've done both. 23andMe and Ancestry.com. Is there an overlap with your test or is it yours a little more detailed? No, not complete. Yeah, on, on EndoDNA, we have a chart that shows you what's covered, what's not covered uh, from full swab. However, we have somewhere around 50% coverage from both. The earlier versions of 23andMe had more coverage than the latter versions because they removed some SNPs because they went for FDA approval on medical conditions for a diagnostic test, so they removed them. But if you have an earlier version, you have pretty good coverage. Plus, it's instantaneous, like 30 seconds or less, much less expensive, and it gives you enough information to really start moving. If, and then if you want to decide later on that you want to do a full uh, analysis, you can. Uh, but I would say that's that's an easy thing to do uh, to start with, uh, you know, an upload of your raw data. And how long does it take uh, to get the results? Four weeks or uh, several several weeks? Yeah, up to four mm -hmm. weeks. Sometimes two weeks. Uh, and the way that it works is when you get your kit and you register, when you log into your portal My DNA Live, it'll have a timeline. So it'll show you the the sample has reached the lab. The sample has been extracted and genotyped, and your results are ready. When you know that, you get the notification, then you can log into the portal and uh, you know see your results. And in addition to that, we have a concierge service. So if somebody has questions or wants to understand how to read the results, uh, they can schedule a Zoom for with a concierge, and they can walk them through the process. Oh, that's great. So were you all on the forefront of this technology? Do you have competitors right now or no? Well, so we feel we basically started this, okay. this industry and uh, we're the only ones that really have IP around our translational engine. But yeah, we have we have some competitors uh, that started, you know, doing this a very similar thing. We we're comfortable with everybody out there because the more people that do DNA testing, the more legitimacy we receive. So competitors, great. Bring them on. Uh, we're sure. light years ahead, but we're the only ones that have, you know, a portal. We're the only ones that actually are are an actionable test and that can provide you product suggestions. In addition to that, feedback. That's key, Book, bookending that experience. But there are a few other companies. We really see ourselves, I mean, frankly speaking, our competitor we always saw was a 23andMe, not the you know cannabis DNA companies because whole genome sequencing allows us to do that. Their acquisition of Lemonade Health falls in line with our model as well because what we want to do is provide uh, real medical precision medicine to people. And, and Lemonade Health is an online pharmacy. So basically using DNA to guide people to a pharmaceutical that may be aligned for them, 
we're taking the path of providing people a traditional therapeutic that aligns with them rather than a pharmaceutical, but also looking at things like hormone levels, you know, through a clinics, looking at, do you have heart deficiencies in that? Looking at supplementation. You know, these are really important things to be able to say, okay, I take a multivitamin, but how do I know I need all these things? What is going on in my body right now where maybe I, I'm deficient in calcium? Maybe I'm deficient in vitamin D. How can I how can I take these supplements that are geared specifically for me and personalized and then measure the efficacy and the outcome of those? Uh, so really precision medicine, that, that's, that's our direction. That's awesome. So where do you see the cannabis industry in the next two to three years? Are we going to finally have the legal or at least bare minimum, for God's sakes, decriminalized across the board? Unfortunately, I don't think so. Damn it. <laughs> uh, I think that there's a struggle. There's a struggle with why are these bills not getting passed that are coming up? Like, I think what's going to happen first is banking. They're going to figure out banking because the government wants their money. Yep. And they want the money in banks. They want their money in the system. They don't want cash. So at some point, there's incentive to figure out the banking. The, the biggest challenge with cannabis is where it's scheduled. So I think that rescheduling is probably going to be the first step before descheduling, which I don't agree with mm -hmm. at all. But I think that's a baby step that both parties can uh, can approve at some point. But what happens with all these bills, they start negotiating and squeezing in other That's things. Right. Oh, well, how about some some money for education? Yeah. How about some money for this? Shit. Yeah, they, That's right. And they can never agree to that. So this is the biggest challenge. It's pharma too, yeah. man. The, the, the challenge is that it's confusing to them. And the reason why it's confusing to them is because they like single molecule. Marinol, it's THC. Synthetic THC doesn't work right, but... They can they can connect to that. Oh, okay, we can do a clinical trial on that. We have over 400 different constituents in this plant. How do they know which combination of what is working for them? How can they make a medicine from that? So baby steps, starting with things like Sativax, which was a one-to-one, -one. you know, let's go with that. And then start adding, can we add CBG with the one-to-one? -one? What will that do? So, but that for that to work, they have to reschedule that and make it, maybe a schedule five or something of that nature, where it does have medicinal purposes. You have complete uh, autonomy to doing clinical research and trials, and you can get your cannabis by prescription through with doctors. And doctors have to believe in it too. And that's, you know, it's gonna take a, a little bit of education, a lot of education for them to do, to do so. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly very nuanced, man. Well. Before we go, I have to. We have to talk at least for a minute. Music. You've got a big vinyl collection or no? I have a big vinyl collection. Yeah, <clears throat> I've been collecting vinyl since I was a kid. I'm a huge vinyl guy. I, I love the sound of vinyl. Oh yeah. And this is what I do in the weekend. One of my favorite things to do is, and vinyl got expensive again. I used to be able to buy vinyl know, for a dollar or two. Yeah. through the crates. But it's getting pretty expensive but, you know, for sure. Give me your top five. If let's say your house is burning down and you got to leave, and you only have you only have time to grab five of them, which ones are you proud of, or which ones would you save? So I would save, uh, I would save Beatles Revolver. I yep. would save Led Zeppelin Two. Okay. 
Uh, I would save Songs in the Key of Life, uh, Stevie Wonder. I would save Paul's Boutique. Oh, badass. Yeah. Beastie Boys. Of course. <laughs> uh, and I would save Rage Against the Machine. Was that five? Yep. Is your Led Zeppelin two or is that is that original print or is a reissue? Original. It's right right back there. That's sick. What about and my one very and... first album that I ever bought? Yeah, I have those two. My very first album that I ever bought is Led Zeppelin four. Yes. This is the original. It's a, it's a little bit beat up, but this is my original album that I bought. Oh, that's kick-ass. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So the first, at this point, when I was like 11, it was CDs, right? But my very first, when my dad gave me 20 bucks, was Nirvana Nevermind. But obviously, I got into vinyl later. Uh, I know. That's why I brought it up. And then also, hence <laughs> my, the name of my podcast. That's part of where it yeah. derived from. Yeah, I love vinyl. What about... Uh, bands that you're checking out or new you know that you've discovered who do you like or you got any concerts you're going to see shortly yeah so i i see i see so many shows all the time i'm seeing i'm going to see nas and wu-tang coming up at the hollywood bowl that's going to be an interesting nice. show so I'll, I'll turn you on to somebody uh i saw a show this weekend at the broad which is an art museum it's really odd uh, LA has these odd kind of shows, but it's a guy named Fantastic Negrito. Man, this guy is lives up to his name. I would say like a throwback. He actually did he did a couple of covers, but a bunch of original, really funky, bluesy. Uh, I, I don't even know how to describe like Rick James meets Lead Belly kind of thing. And he actually did a Lead Belly cover, so that kind of oh, thing. Oh wow! Wild. Uh, stage, uh, uh, stage show, and he was uh, he was great, very personable, very cool. But uh, yeah, so fantastic, Negrito. Growing up, like who were your favorite bands? Well, Beatles, Beatles was first. That was that was what I I was. My parents weren't really into music that much. My dad introduced me to the Beatles. That was that was really it. And I started listening to Stones, and I was like, ah. Eh. You know, I wasn't into them that much. I was a Beatles guy, you know, versus Stones, which I love the Stones now, but it took me a little while. And then the reason why I even got into the Beatles was I discovered the song remains the same. I had a, like a VHS and I started, yep. and, I, and it, it coincided with my cannabis use. The kid, I was a latchkey kid. So people, would, my parents were at work, kids were coming over to my house. We'd make these tinfoil bowls, find our little nickel bags of weed, pull out the stems <laughs> and seeds and watch the song remains the same. We would do it almost every day. So I super got into Zeppelin at that time. And then I saw a movie called Beat Street. Uh, it's in the early eighties. This is the beginning of hip hop. And I like super got into hip hop and I started getting everything. Like we were, we were in the Northeast yeah. circuit breakers. We pull out our cardboards, pull out our, our box and I would dress in sweatsuits and all that stuff. And I would listen. <laughs> Everything, man, like Cool Mo D and, uh, and Eric Bin Rakim, and all, but that came a little later. But like hip hop, like classic hip hop was my thing, and uh, yeah, so it was classic rock that I used to listen to, like uh, like I said, Zeppelin, Beatles, uh, Floyd. They were my they were my favorites. My very first concert I ever went to was Pink Floyd. I, yeah. JFK Stadium. Get the fuck uh, in out. Philly, Are you serious? 120. 
This is the first tour. Uh, what tour was that? What is it? Momentary Lapse of Reason tour? It's the very first tour without Roger Waters when they got back uh, and and called themselves Pink Floyd. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. It was I went with my dad and his brother. This is the only concert my dad ever took me to because he loved Floyd. And he said he's never going back to a concert again because it was too much and people were spilling beer and throwing up. What? He's not a concert. <laughs> yeah, Why? It was our first time getting a joint pass to us. And I was there with three of my friends, or two two other friends, three of us. And it was my first time hitting a joint at a concert. But yeah, it was it was an amazing thing. And after that, it was uh, it was like my my thing. So I, I've seen I've seen some of the most incredible incredible concerts, but some of those most memorable concerts. And yes, Pink Floyd is memorable because it was a big concert, and and Stones were at SoFi Stadium, you know, eighty thousand people. But Seeing something like this, going to the Viper Room and seeing Billy Idol. Oh, shit. Seeing Billy yeah. Idol come out <laughs> and Billy Idol and they start playing and he looks good and he's there to start playing Eyes Without a Face. And he must have performed this song thousands of times. He's, he starts going and he right. goes, fuck, does anybody know how the song goes? <laughs> and I have video of Billy Idol singing the song off of somebody else's iPhone because he didn't remember the lyrics. Now, to me, that's a fucking memorable concert. Holy shit. <laughs> of course. Wait, so was this uh, recently? Yeah, within like the, when he came back. Yeah, on within the, road? the last few yeah, years. Had to have been. Yeah, that's why. Because he's fucking done so many, so much blow and drugs that he's old now and forgotten the lyrics. Of his I mean, Vince Neil, I remember going to see Vince Neil perform. Oh, God. I don't think he knows yeah. any. And if Vince, if you're listening, Not I don't know more. if you know this name. Every single other word, <laughs> he had the crowd to sing the songs. Ozzy doing like war pigs, <laughs> a few badass. hundred. Yeah, these okay, are the kind dude. of shows that I that I connect to. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean live music. Uh, uh, maybe I'll change same. one of those records. I'll, I'll take I'll take my Sabbath record instead. Okay, which which one though? Yeah, that's a Which good question. I, I don't know. That's why that's why it was hard to decide. Paranoid probably, uh, but I've beat the shit out of that like so many times, but I, <laughs> it, it probably is paranoid. And and maybe it's also so, I, I love I love Alice in Chains. So there I have a vinyl with Sap and Jar of Flies. So I don't know if that's cheating or not, but it's mm -hmm. like a double sided. So maybe I take that album because it, it it's two albums in one. So I saw Alice in Chain, obviously not the original, but I, it was a co-bill with Velvet Revolver, and they were fucking awesome. Saw that. Because you were talking about STP earlier, Stuntable Pilots. But did you get to see the original lineup with Alice in Chain? Yeah, I saw Lane oh, Staley. Uh, and I saw with William as well. I, I saw a show at the very first show at the new stadium in Vegas, the uh, Guns N' Roses. Yeah, yeah, the greater play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, no, it's before. It's the team, team mobile. Maybe it's called. I don't know. It's the it's uh, a, okay. before the Raiders. So Guns N' Roses were going back on tour. Alice in Chains was the opening for them, and this is where Axel fell off the stage of the Troubadour and broke. When his he leg. broke his fucking foot, yes. and then he came, and then he came and uh, played with the ACDC. Have you seen those? Yeah, those are, he fucking was awesome. So check this out. Alice in Chains played. They were great. And William was great. He's no, he's not lame, but he's great. They do a really good job. Right. Then we waited for like two hours for Guns N' Roses to come on. Uh, Axel, Axel, <laughs> he walks out on crutches with these two hot nurses helping him. And he sits in the throne. He does the whole concert with his leg up in the throne <laughs> the entire time. Yeah. And then over time, the throne 
the thing that says Guns Roses on it starts falling down and it says FF, Foo Fighters. It was Dave Grohl's throne that he lent him during the concert. So he had, uh, he had Dave Grohl's throne. So that was cool. That's awesome. As far as your company in Endocana Health, are you involved in any other cannabis-related products? Products, yeah. So we have uh, eight patent-pending formulations that we license out to manufacturers all over the world. So some of them, some of them could be, you know, our products that you know you may be consuming. Uh, we make our blends, and they're specific based on feedback for symptomatic conditions. The blends themselves have terpenes and essential oils. Uh, with very, you know, peer reviewed references that are made in Israel, and we can ship those anywhere in the world, and we license those to manufacturers to make, you know, their formulations using, you know, our, our, our I guess, blends or, or ingredients. So, if I or the listeners wanted to find your pro other products, the ones that you speak, where can I find? Are they on your website? Uh, some of them are or on not. the website, but they're not, we're whitely, we're just licensing them. So sure. there's other okay, manufacturers gotcha, that are manufacturing gotcha. them. But, yeah, yeah. but if you look to see that, you know, some of them have a 90% match or above, more likely they're probably using, you know, our blends and our formulations for that. Gotcha. And then because we just were talking about me, Delic, and I'm a huge advocate, obviously, of all forms of plant medicine. Do you think you'll ever get into different types of plant medicine? So we are, and we did. Uh, we, we just filed a patent on our neuro DNA test. So it's our mental health test. And the first thing we're looking at is treatment-resistant depression. Uh, so there is a little bit over 30% of the population that has treatment-resistant depression that still get antidepressant You're looking medication. at one. You're looking at one. Yeah, and and, yeah. and you can still Because that's how I got into that. Yeah, I mean, I got so desperate that I flew down into South America by myself to do ayahuasca after my dad died, and I was grieving. So that's awesome that you all are doing that. So it's treatment-resistant depression, yeah. but you still get the side effects from the medication that you're on. And then the other thing we're looking at is binding affinity to the different receptors. So binding affinity to like serotonin receptors, uh, GABA, dopamine, etc. So we can guide people what is this psychotropic that is more aligned with them? And if they have a predisposition to an adverse effect from one of those, how can we mitigate that? So the idea came from this. I was talking to uh, Dr. Michelle Weiner in Florida, who's one of her, she sits on her uh, advisory board and also has ketamine clinics and sells products that we make in our kits as well. And I was talking to her and somebody was yelling in the background. And she said, I got to call you back. I have a, we have a, an emergency. She called me back the next day or whatever. I said, what happened? She goes, yeah, somebody had like a psychotic episode with ketamine. I said, that happens? She's like, once in a while, I had no idea. So I went to my team. I said, what can we do to help mitigate that? So somebody has a predisposition to an adverse event that can be triggered through ketamine. Maybe they can get a beta blocker in, or give them a little more attention, hold their hand, reintegrate them differently in the process. So that's, that's we're, we're really focusing on that next. Oh, wow, man, that makes me, I'm thrilled to hear that. Let's kick ass, dude. Yeah, so we'll, we'll be focusing on, so we have Ibogaine, we have LSD, we have psilocybin, we have MDMA and ketamine right now. And then we'll add other things as they come up. Hell yeah. I'm so glad I talked to you. That's awesome. Uh, Lynn, I, I can't thank you enough. Obviously, I'll, I'll put uh, your company's info in my show notes and so forth. Is there anything else you want to share with my listeners before we go? 
Oh, maybe we'll give you guys a code and uh, have okay. the audience uh, give it a try. See if we can uh, yeah. get some feedback from the audience. Uh, I mean, the, the thing that we're, we're opening up our clinic right now, and that's one of the things that we're going to be focusing a lot more. <clears throat> and the reason for this is you can get a protocol suggested to you, but how do we know you're actually going to implement that? And by having physicians in place and healthcare professionals and really looking at precision medicine, we can then learn a lot more what's working, what's not working, and then, you know, communicate that more to the world. Uh, and so that's that's our next focus area is to have a lot more healthcare professionals all over the country and, you know, maybe the world. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you all are doing that. I mean, seriously, it's very important. It gives me hope for what's going on as far as the industry and the psychedelic renaissance or whatever you want to call it. I mean, because uh, we need people need to stop being so uh, closed minded and realize that these actually help people. That's the direction that people need to understand. It is us. Everything we put in our bodies excretes our own neurochemical. And we have to know which chemicals we have an abundance of, which ones we're deficient in, and how to modulate ourselves. So we we are the best version of ourselves. And that's yep. uh, it can, that's exactly right. That's the, that's the mission. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lynn, again, man, I can't thank you enough. It's a real pleasure, and I'm super excited to share this with my audience. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. After this week's deep scientific dive into the endocannabinoid system, stay tuned for a future episode where Lynn and I dive even more into our passion for music. Before Lynn and I go deep into our vinyl collections, join me next week via video on my YouTube channel for a sit down before sound check at the Mohawk in Austin, Texas with my friend, lead guitarist and vocalist of Perpetual Groove, Brock Butler. Perpetual Groove is an American rock band that originated in 1997 in Savannah, Georgia, and they represent a mix of traditional Southern rock, funk, jazzy improvisation, indie rock, and epic synth loops. Again, if you're interested in understanding your endocannabinoid system, remember to use promo code NIRVANA20 on endodna.com for a 20% discount on your endodna kit. As always, Thank you for listening. Until next time, this is Neurons to Nirvana. Nirvana.